Thank you so much, Brother Richard, for that prayer supplication. Thank you, Sister Amy, for that beautiful offertory special. And I was just uh, uh, getting over a Holy Ghost fit from the uh, special the, 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 the hymn we just sang. And I was so thankful that God <clears throat> impressed upon your heart to follow up with that powerful hymn of comfort. It is well with my soul. Because I wasn't done with it quite yet. And uh, in fact, as I... I, I don't know if it does that to you, but, but when sometimes when we're singing, it is well with my soul. And I, I, I think about the story behind that and know that the author, Horatio Spafford, back in 1873, when he was penning the words, he was in the throe of a horrific, terrible, dark time of tragedy, having lost his three precious daughters who were sailing on a ship across the Atlantic with their mother, and the ship struck another ship, as you know from the story. And, and that ship immediately went down and, and his three daughters drowned. And only his wife was spared in his family. And, and, and as he was coming across the Atlantic to join his wife in England, you know, the captain of the ship stopped the ship there at, at the area where the ship with his daughters went down. And, and it was at that time that he wrote these words. And could say by faith, only by faith, it is well with my soul. My heart is destroyed. My life is, is torn upside down. And, and, but it's well with my soul. And, and you know, when I think about that and I think about what we go through, I, I can't help but think about, and this is where the Holy Ghost just got a hold of me of that last verse. I'm going to tell you, I just, whew. I, when I, I, we were singing that last verse, and Lord, haste the day when faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. Can you see it in your, in your spirit's eye, brothers and sisters? Can you see that day when the clouds are rolled back like a scroll? The trump shall resound, and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. Do you understand? I'm trying to interpret maybe what was going on in his heart. He realized he lost the three of the most precious individuals in his life that he would not see again on this side of eternity. But his faith said, one day, one day, Horatio, the Lord is going to come again. He'll roll the clouds back like a scroll. There'll be a trumpet and the Lord will descend and your daughters will be instantly before you with all those who've gone ahead. There's the hope we live with as Christians. It's not in our ability and our, our giftedness. It's in what we have in that promise that Jesus is coming again. Amen? Praise God. I'm glad He came the first time, aren't you? Hallelujah, because He made things right for the world and for you and me. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But hallelujah. As glorious as that is. And I certainly don't want to minimize the first coming of Christ. Boy I tell you what. When my mind gets to focusing on it. We should live every day shouldn't we? Every day we should live with the keen awareness. That this could be the day. Because Jesus is coming again. Amen. I wouldn't even get up here to preach. I wouldn't even bother coming to church if there was not an awareness of His first coming and the assurance of His second coming. As you turn in your Bibles to 3 John, as we wrap up this last epistle of John, and we'll be looking at the last words of John to the, the whether well, it's a personal letter to his dear friend Gaius, 
but, but these aren't the last words of John. <laughs> Praise God, as, as, we, as we read through that, that mis, mysterious and, and mind-boggling and yet wonderful revelation that God gave to John, known as the revelation, the last words of that faithful aging apostle, the last surviving disciple of Jesus Christ, the apostle of Jesus Christ, the last words recorded in the scriptures even so, come, Lord Jesus. With everything that John knew, with everything that John had experienced, and, and with everything that he knew about the future, his heart's yearning was, even so, Lord, come, Lord Jesus. Is that your prayer? It's okay. You know, you're not short-circuiting anybody if you say, Lord... It'd be great if you were to come today. But more importantly, are you ready? Are you ready? What if this is the day? How will he find you? How will he find you living? How will he find you thinking? How will he find you invested in your life when you stand in his very presence? Hallelujah. And so now as I take you back to first, I'll tell you what. I, I I'm all for the Spirit of God getting a hold. I'm, I, I was almost ready to do a little running, but we had a guest preacher, and I surely didn't want Pastor Joe to go back and bad thoughts about Cornerstone having this crazy charismatic pastor. But, but I'm going to tell you something. The Spirit of God has a way of just igniting our souls with certain things. As, as we look at 3 John, and we begin there in verse 9, you, let me just refresh your memory because John is writing this personal epistle and understand that all the, all the epistles are, are cyclical. In other words, they <clears throat> may be written to a particular person. It may be written to a particular church. But the intention was it would be circulated. It would be circulated so that other Christians, other churches, would have the benefit of the truths and the divinely inspired word given in this epistle. So even though it's written from John to Gaius, it's also written to us. There are things in this letter that certainly you and I should glean, take to heart, and apply to our lives. So just as a quick refresher, as John the Apostle, as he introduced himself at the very beginning of the, of the epistle, in verse 1, he says, you know, the elder. You know, John was one of the few people in, in Christendom at that time could just walk up and say, I'm the elder. <laughs> because chronologically, he probably was one of the oldest people around in the church that day. But even more importantly than that, he also held a, a position of authority. Who could speak for Jesus? Who could speak for Christ more authoritatively than the man who walked with him and talked with him and heard him and handled him and loved him? And leaned up against the very breast of the Son of God as he partook of that last supper. Who better could say, let me tell you about Jesus. He's the elder. He's writing to his dear friend, his beloved friend. And, and we've gotten you know, kind of fond of thinking of John as the apostle of love. And then please don't understand that to be that he was in any way less masculine, you know, you know, simply because he was known as being a loving disciple. I think John understood the power of love. 
You know, it's not just this weepy kind of a, you know, warm emotion, that gooey and stuff like that. <laughs> hey, John understood the power of love. That's why when he wrote his gospel, and, and, and you know, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's recalling the words of Christ. When Jesus says, for God so loved the world, that he radically changed and transformed a wicked and depraved and dark and sinful group of people who would put their trust in his son. The power to change lives. The power to change families. The power to change communities. The power to change a nation. Amen? You know what the power was? It was his love. It was God's love. And it was out of that spirit of love. He's writing to Gaius and subsequently to members of the church there in Asia Minor. To the church then, but then to the church today. In the first eight verses of this epistle, you may recall John was commending Gaius. He was commending this dear, faithful Christian friend for his spiritual maturity. I won't go back and go back over that, but he was commending him for his spiritual maturity. He recognized that. He also was commending him in those verses for his hospitality. And ladies and gentlemen, that's a big issue. It was in the early church, and I explained why earlier when we were talking about that in the first eight verses, that Christians and churches be hospitable. And, and Pastor Joe, I love the part that you were talking about, you and your family, your wife, Duncan, your two daughters, and your son, or he's a baby, but he's still part of the tribe, right? But, but how you all live with a spirit of expectancy and prepare for that as if, if someone came and showed up and wanted to eat dinner, needed a meal, or just needed a, a friendly place to sit and talk, that, that you live with that expectancy of hospitality. And I like that. The rest of us should too. Keep a meal handy that you can quickly pop in the microwave and warm up or, or something or frozen pizza that you can throw in the oven should somebody just unexpectedly show up and they need hospitality. And so that was important and John recognized that. John also recognized this wonderful friend's great reputation of love. Not just with his lips, but with his life, with his actions. Do you have Active love demonstrated in your life? I, I hope your love expression is not limited just to saying, I love you. I, I hope that indeed people that know you, they know you love because your love is active. You do what you need to do. Gaius was that kind of a person. But then also we know that he gave Gaius some tips on supporting God's faithful servants. The, the brethren, the traveling Missionaries who were making their way all through the Roman Empire where the church's presence was and they were preaching the gospel and they were encouraging believers and, and coming alongside churches. And, and, you know, as traveling evangelists or missionaries, they didn't have the benefit of hotels like we have today. They had to depend upon the churches, the Christians, to take them in and to be hospitable and to show them love and to take care of the basic needs. And, he, and, and so John was saying, hey, brother, you're doing a good work. Whether you realize that your hospitality is a partnership with God, you are actually participating 
When you open up your home and your heart and you serve and you take care of these brothers and you send them off in a very, you know, a wonderful way that would be pleasing to God. He says, you are as much being a partner with them in ministry. You are a part of every soul that God wins to Jesus Christ through their preaching. You are a part of every church that is encouraged by their presence. He says, you are a partner by your hospitality. Isn't it great that God gives you and me opportunities to be a partner with his great kingdom work? that will last forever and ever and ever. That's why we talk about our missionaries. That's why we have these missions emphasis Sundays. It's, it's not to, 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 to badger you with, oh, we want your money here. We want your time here. No, no, no. We're simply saying, hey, you want an opportunity to be a part of what God's doing? Here you go. And nothing will be forced on you. Okay, i got to get to the message now. I get too excited about the first eight verses. I need to finish this letter up. So we're going to begin looking... In stark contrast, beginning in verse 9 of 3 John, as positive and as edifying and as uplifting as the first eight verses were, as John referred to Gaius, you'll see the clouds moving in quickly. Like a nice, beautiful spring afternoon when everything is sunshiny and warm and the birds are singing, and in just a matter of moments the clouds roll in. And things start getting dark and the birds hush up and all of a sudden you feel the cool wind start to blow and the, all of a sudden the rolling of the thunder and then all of a sudden the crack of lightning before you know it, boom! And in contrast <laughs> to that positive opening, John starts off in verse 8 or 9 rather. He says, I, I wrote to the church and, and presumably according to some of the scholars that I've read in commentaries, this would be the church that Gaius is, is a part of. We don't know the exact one somewhere in the a area of Asia Minor. But, but he's saying, I wrote a letter to your church. And if you're Gaius, you're scratching your head. You said, huh, what letter? Now he's not talking about Second John because we know who that letter was written to. It was to the elect lady. It's not First John because it was an epistle written generally dealing with false prophets and that type of thing. So there was a letter. And Gaius is scratching his head and saying, wait, wait, wait a minute, what, what lad? Read further. But, Diotrephus, i got to get, get into the group, Diotrephus, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. Let me just explain. There's, there's a mystery of a missing letter. Because John had written a letter to the church to give them instructions about being hospitable to other Christians, particularly those who were carrying on the great work of the kingdom of God. And Diotrephes intercepted this letter. And we're going to get the, this is the snidely whiplash, the Darth Vader, if you will. We talked about false prophets. We talked about false teachers. We, we talked about those elements of deceit that would enter into the church. Well, John is exposing in a stinging condemnation of Diotrephus. And, and so the assumption is, what I've gathered in, in reading commentators about this, is that Diotrephus got the letter. Because he's kind of like the head dog of the church. He's the power man. Not necessarily the elder, but he's the power man. And that goes on in churches, ladies and gentlemen. Please don't be fooled into thinking that pastors are the leaders of churches. They should be spiritually as elders. <laughs> but I'm afraid I've known too many churches and probably you've had experiences too where the pastor is simply a puppet. 
He's holding a position. And somewhere in the dark background, there's an individual who has power. He's got political power in the church. He's got economic power. And he's pulling the strings, even telling the preacher what to do. Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. So here are several indictments that John is bringing against this dark character known as Diotrephes. And in contrast to the beloved Gaius, he says, you know, that Diotrephes, he, he loves to have preeminence. He loves to be number one. He loves to be out in front. Sounds like one of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, that Jesus was constantly you know, ridiculing. It doesn't. It? What a contrast to the mentality and the philosophy of Jesus when he was talking in Matthew chapter 20 to his disciples. And he says, you know how the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. It is not so with you. Whoever wishes to be great shall be a servant. Whoever wishes to be first will be your slave. <laughs> Jesus never said, listen, if you want to be a kingpin in the church, you've got to make sure you're number one. You've got to be at the top. You've got to have the most power, the most preeminence. You've got to have the most influence. You've got to be the boss. No, no, no. That's not what, what the Lord is saying there. He's saying this, this John is nailing Diotrephus for his sinful pride and selfishness because he's putting himself first. As he receives this letter from John, the apostle of the Lord, the elder of the church, he looks at it evidently and says, nah, I don't want the people seeing this. I'll file that in 13. It's not the first letter that was lost. There's a letter written between 1st and 2nd Corinthians known as the harsh letter that didn't show up. Or at least it didn't make it into the canon of the scriptures. But we know with the Archippus interfering here, instructions from the Apostle John were interfered with because of his desire to have preeminence and he didn't receive John. Where Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, he said, do nothing out of selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. Did you get that? Don't do anything within the body of Christ. Don't do anything in your life as a Christian out of selfishness or empty conceit. But he said, put the, put the needs of others ahead of yourself. Well, that wasn't Diotrephus, and that's what John is... Is, is indicting him for here. His sinful pride and his selfishness is causing him to interfere. John says, he, he did not receive us. He rejected our authority. Which brings us to the next indictment, which is his disregard for church authority. You know, in 2 Corinthians, if you want to go back with me in chapter 13. Now remember, for Diotrephes to refuse to give John a hearing among the people of the church, in other words, intercept the letter, keep the instructions from John to get there as if to say, you know, John's not good enough. I'm the boss. Listen to how that contradicts the teachings of Paul when it comes to the authority of the elder. In 2 Corinthians, in chapter 13, in verse 1 and 2, he says, this will be the third time Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. He says, this will be the third time I am coming to you. As you well know, let me stop here. Corinth was having troubles. It was not, it was not a very settled and mature church. 
And Paul was having to reprimand them and rebuke them on things. And so he's, he said, the third time I'm having to confront you, come to you. He says, by mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. He says, I have told you before and foretell as if I were present the second time. And now being absent, I write to those who have sinned before and to all the rest. Listen to what Paul says. That if I come again, you may as well say Paul is saying, since I'm coming up there, again, I will not spare. It's kind of like when a parent warning the children upstairs is they're misbehaving. I remember one time we lived in the old log house and I was probably about four or five and my brother Leon and I had a room upstairs in that old log house we heated by a, a wood fire. It was a cold night, cold, cold night. My dad had come up and tucked us in and fired up the old heater and it was roaring hot. And he said, boys, I'm going downstairs to have prayer, which was our evening ritual. We knew that. Uh, Y'all be quiet. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. He goes down the steps. I can hear him starting his prayer. My brother Leon says, watch this. <laughs> Spits on that old stove. Now, if you've never had old wood stove get red hot, you've missed the pleasure of spitting on a hot stove and hearing it go, I thought that was hilarious. I thought it was great. I said, well, I can do that. So we had a little spitting contest going on. And we were hollering and laughing before you knew it and forgot. But Dad went ahead with his prayer. Let me tell you something. When he came up there, like Paul said, he spared none. <laughs> and, and, and Paul is saying, when it comes to the elders of the church, and John is the elder, and, and you know, Paul is saying that the elders deserve double honor. And so, you know, for us, as for Diotrephus uh, to deny John's authority at the church, he was going against the teachings of the Apostle Paul even. He was making, look what he says there. He's in verse 10. Therefore, if I come, and John is basically doing like Paul. He says, if I come, I'm coming. I'll be, I'll be coming to the church. He says, I will call to mind his deeds. He says, I will see. He's, he's writing to Gaius. He's saying, I will seek out Diotrephus. This matter is not resolved. He's just telling Gaius, I'm coming. And let me tell you something. Can you just imagine? You know, that, that old, sagely, godly John showing up in town at the church. And there was a hush come over you know, and, and, and so can you imagine his presence even in the midst of the people? He says, I'll, I'll be coming up there. I will call to mind his deeds, which he does. In other words, in the tense of that verb, he's doing it. He's continually doing it. He's continually rejecting my authority. He's continually misusing this, his position in the church. And what is he doing? He's saying he's prating against us with malicious words. In other places, that very term means gossip. He's gossiping about me. John is saying of Diotrephus. He's spreading false things about me, making false accusations about me. Not only that, he goes on and says, 
And he's not, and not content with that. As if that were not enough there in verse 10. He himself does not receive the brethren. And now we've talked about the brethren. This traveling band of fellow Christians who were evangelizing and, 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 and preaching and sharing. Like missionaries if you will. And, and for them to refute for, for Diotrephus to refuse to offer hospitality to these men, to offer goodness to fellow Christians, he was going against the commands of Christ. And Jesus had said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. In John chapter 14, verse 15. And in verse 21 of chapter 14, John, uh, Jesus says, if any man has my commandments and keeps them, he is the one who loves me. So when Diotrephus refusing to follow the commandments of Christ, you said, well, what commandments, pastor? Don't you remember Jesus said, a new commandment I give unto you in John 13, 35? He says that you love one another. Brothers and sisters in Christ love one another as I have loved you. So shall you love one another. And for Diotrephus to be withholding fellowship to these brothers in Christ... He was in essence then breaking the law of Christ. He was disobeying the very commandments of the Lord. If you go back with me to 1 John, just a couple of pages back, you may recall this when we were looking in chapter 3 of, of 1 John chapter 3. John says, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So you see, for this man, this power-hungry man in the church to refuse to offer fellowship and hospitality to these traveling evangelists and missionaries he was disobeying the very principle of the Word of God that says we have a responsibility when we see a brother or sister in need. It's not an optional thing. If we love God, we will love them. And so he was withholding hospitality from faithful messengers of God in contrast to Gaius. Because if you remember in the first eight verses, John was complimenting and praising Gaius because he was doing that very thing. And he had a reputation of opening up his home and his heart to those who were in need and traveling like that. And yet this was the case for Diotrephes. But not only that, look back in verse 10. And he's not content with that. He himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to. Stop there. Not only was it he, because of his power, because of his influence in the church, he was not only refusing to let these traveling preachers come and live among them and have hospitality, he was threatening any of the other members of the church, basically saying, and you better not do it either. Well, there will be trouble. What kind of trouble? Well, just look a little further. Putting them out of the church. So he's misusing what level of authority or power he has in the church. But not only that, he's hindering other members from being obedient to God. He's a, he's a stumbling block. We 
need to be careful, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters. We, we need to be careful that we don't let our own biases or insecurities interfere with other believers doing faithfully what God has called them to do. You may not understand somebody else's ministry, or you may not understand their zeal for a particular service in the church or whatever, but just because you don't understand it, or it's something that you're not particularly fond of, heaven forbid that you would be a stumbling block to cause them to be unfaithful. And that's what Diotrephus was doing. And if they didn't listen to him, he had enough misused power to say, you're out. And I suspect he's not doing this as an ordained elder of the church. This is just a man who has a lot of influence, a lot of power, and the church has become like a country club. And if he says you're out, you're out. You see, a preacher, that, that's old, ancient history. People don't act like that anymore. They don't think like, not in the church. You might want to just pull a collection of pastors whose term of service in churches have been abruptly ended. Sometimes through secret meetings because a power broker in the church disagreed with him or didn't like his emphasis on youth ministry or ministering to ethnics or going out and doing spending the money of the church on things like that that they didn't couldn't see at the church themselves and all of a sudden they're out just like that oh listen they're power hungry people and there may be some even within this congregation that would like to have that kind of power but I got news for you you won't coexist with the the spirit and the structure of this congregation. Not long. Not long, I promise you. If you're looking to find a place of position and power where you can begin to influence the church in your, in, your sinful preferences and direction, then you won't exist long. Not here. Because the authority of the Word of God is the ultimate authority for this congregation and should be for every church. And under the authority of the Word of God, those who are, who are called by God and recognized by the church and ordained by the church to lead the church will, will lead the church. Not somebody that has a lot of money. Not somebody that is popular in the community or is charismatic in their personality. That's a diatrophist. And let me tell you something. They can be deadly to a church. So he was administering discipline. Might I add, unscriptural discipline? We've walked through, when we were developing the core value of church discipline, we walked through Matthew 18. We saw how Jesus prescribed church discipline as ministered. You know, one of the elders of the church goes to that person that sins and, and confronts them in love, and if they repent, and he says, you've won a brother. It doesn't have to be confined to an elder, but I would think that the elder would be the first one to take that step. It, it could be any church member that, that observes a brother or sister living in sin. And then if they don't repent, then you go get two witnesses, at least two, come back and confront them again. With the hope that they will repent and they will come back. And if they don't, then you bring it before the church. And this is the, the, the measure of the, the elders. And, and that person then is, and only then, 
Only then, by the wishes of the church, at the recommendation of the elders, is that person's name removed from the church roll and fellowship is severed. This guy, the archivist, is saying, so you, you had fellowship? You opened up your home for these traveling preachers that I don't like? You're out. Take his name off the roll. Next. <clears throat> and John says, I'll, I'll be coming. I'll be coming. And, and, and I'll, I'll deal with that. Unscriptural church discipline. But then, and, and by the way, it's probably safe to assume at this point that Gaius was probably one of those. Because we know for a fact that he was opening up his home. He was extending hospitality to the traveling brothers. And John was commending them for that. So this letter is to Gaius as if to say, Diotrephus may feel this way, but brother, this is how I feel. And he says, I'll come and I'll deal with it. <clears throat> now, after this stinging and condemnation of, of indictments against Diotrephus, as we move to verse 11, and we'll be picking up the pace, he gives, the apostle offers wise counsel. First of all, to avoid ungodly patterns of behavior. You know, Jesus was teaching in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20. He says, you, you don't know a tree by its fruit. A good, a good tree bears good fruit. And predominantly then, bad trees bear bad fruit. And, and so you, you're known. Your life is known. People look. That's, that's what John is offering commendation to, to Gaius for in the first eight verses. He said, I see your fruit, brother. <laughs> You've got to be a good tree. You're, all the things that are coming out of your life are pleasing to God. They're consistent with the teachings of the Word. You stand on the truth. And so, he's given counsel now to Gaius there in verse 11. He says, Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. In other words, don't, don't fall to the temptation to go to the dark side. Star like Star Trek's now. But don't, don't let... Don't let Diotrephus' dark, sinful, power-hungry influence sway you to say, you know what? If I really want to have influence in this neighborhood, in this community, I just really need to befriend Diotrephus and kind of do things his way. He says, resist that. Don't imitate what is evil, but what is good? Keep your eyes focused on what is good. He who does good is of God. There you go. If you're looking for delineation between the first half of this letter and the second half, the first half is dedicated to a man who was of God. How do we know that? Because he did the things of God. The second half of the letter is indicting a man who claimed to be a Christian. And of course, all through 1 John, we saw John warning us of these false prophets who would sneak in. They are imposters. They would talk the talk, but they certainly didn't walk the walk, and their hearts were not yielded to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And this is a person that John says in the last part of verse 11, He who does evil has not seen God. I don't care what his family record is, and, and the name Diotrephus, in contrast to Gaius, and we'll see Demetrius, which, who, which are common names. So that, just about everybody's naming their, their child, their son, Gaius, or Demetrius, and you know, probably popular names like that. But 
Diotrephus, the name in and of itself was a rare name. And it, and it suggested one who was, who was fed by or cared for by Zeus. You were under the care of the gods. It's borrowed from pagan background. But anyways, was, he probably comes from a wealthy, prominent family. Hence, his attitude. So, John is counseling this dear brother that he loves to stay away from someone like Diotrephus who, who exemplified prideful hunger or hunger for pride who was rebellious against church authority. And we find that, like I said, manifested unfortunately in churches today. But he encouraged them to imitate godly patterns of behavior you know, look for the good. Look for those who are doing good. Look for those who are, who are abiding by the Scriptures, who are living lives though, uh, that uh, contrast the world, but are consistent with the teachings of Christ. Let me just take you back to 1 John very quickly in chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. I want you just to see these passages. In chapter 2, verse 3, John says at the very beginning, he says, Now by this we know that we know Him. If we keep his commandments. He who says I know him. And does not keep his commandments. Is a liar. And the truth is not in him. And whoever keeps the word. Or his word. Truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him. Ought himself also to walk. Just as he walked. So John is saying. Walk like Christ. In chapter 5 of that same Epistle, 1 John chapter 5, look at verse 2. <clears throat> John goes on to say, By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep His commandments. And this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. So, you're looking for a good pattern, a good example to pattern your life after? Look for people who exemplify a walk with Christ. Look for people who demonstrate this kind of goodness. And as we move to verse 12, John is ending his, his epistle. He's ending this, this, this personal letter to Gaius with, with warm words of commendation, if you will. Because he just said, look for a good example. And then in verse 12, he says, oh, consider Demetrius. And obviously, Gaius knew this man, Demetrius, Demetrius has a good testimony from all. In other words, not just me. John says, think about Demetrius. Everybody you talk to says good things about him, favorable things. He, he's, his very testimony is widespread. Not only that, John says, talking about a good example, Demetrius not only has a good testimony, but boy, does he stand on the truth. His life is consistent with the truth of the scriptures. Is that important to John? I was hoping I'd get a resounding, Amen, yes, preacher, no doubt about it. You better believe it was. All through his epistles, John is saying, you stand on the truth, the truth matters. In fact, back in verse, uh, verse 2, uh, verse 1 rather, he's, as he's praising Gaius, he says, you know, uh, to my beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. He says, I know you stand on the truth. Verse 5, he says, For I rejoiced greatly when brethren came and, and testified of the truth 
that is in you. Just as you walk in the truth. And then verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. Hey, listen, was the truth important to John? Standing on the truth of the Word of God? The authority of the Scriptures? Oh, you better believe it. Don't come into John's face, into his presence, say, you know, I'm a pretty good Christian. You know, I've done all this and I've done all of that. You know, and I've held this position and I've held that position. You know, and I give so much money. And yet you ignore and you contradict the Word of God. John says, get out of my face. <laughs> You're not a good person because you don't stand on the truth. He said, Demetrius? Yeah, he's got a good testimony from everybody, but also from the truth. His life is consistent with the teachings of the Scriptures. And he says, we also bear witness and you know that our testimony is true. He's saying, listen, Gaius, if you're looking for a good example, if you're looking for an encourager, go to Demetrius. He's like you. He has a lot of the same godly qualities that you do. He's recognized by John. He's recognized by the church. And he stands on the truth. And finally, we're going to wrap up. As John wraps up, in the conclusion of his letter, and you'll see a great similarity to the conclusion of John's letter to Gaius in comparing to the letter he wrote in 2 John to the, quote, elect lady who he loved and her children, who obviously he knew personally. So as I'm reading verse 13 and 14, you can also look back over at 2 John, because if your Bible is like mine, it's just across the way. And you'll see the similarity. Verse 13 of 3 John. I had many things to write, but I do not wish to write to you with pen and ink. Now just stop there and jump over to 2 John chapter 12. He writes to the, uh, to the elect lady. How, having many things to write to you, I did not wish to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. Go back to 3 John. Verse 14. But I hope to see you shortly. And we shall speak face to face. So you see the similarities? John said, oh, listen, that's, that's so much more that I want. I don't know if, if you're like I am, you know, having studied through this and, 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 and just meditated upon John's letters. You know, and John says, and there's a lot more that I want to tell you, but I'm not going to write it down. I said, oh, shucks, John. How do I know? What you told the elect lady now? I'd love to find out the rest of the story. Kind of like Paul Harvey. Well, you know what? It wasn't God's will. It wasn't to be divinely inspired and accepted into the canon of the scripture. These are things that John just said. When I get there, you know, it's one thing to send an email, isn't it? But it's another thing to go and sit down and have a Coke or coffee and just talk face to face. I mean, you know, there's not an email in the world that can express your heart and the expressions on your face or reaching out and put your arm around somebody or, you know, shake their hand. There's not a text, tweet, Facebook. Did I leave anything else out? Oh, smoke signals. That betrays my ethnic background. But anyway, there's nothing mechanical that can even come close to expressing your heart. And John says, there are things I want to share. They're of the heart. I'll wait till I get there. In both cases. And then to the elect lady in verse 13, he said, the children of your elect sister greet you. In other words, hey, listen, 
You know your sister that lives here? Your, your nieces and nephews are saying, Hey, Aunt Elect Lady, we love you. I'm just I'm creating that, okay? That's not in the Bible. Y'all say, duh. <laughs> Go back to verse 14 in, in 3 John. John also says, Our friends greet you. Gaius and John had mutual friends. Don't you love the personal nature of these last two letters? I mean, there, there's a place for hard and fast, you know, uh, doctrinal teachings and principles and things like that. Yeah, we need that. Prophecies and all the other writings. I, I like these personal letters. And he says, hey, oh, by the way, you know, our friends are saying, hey to you there, Gaius. And he says, greet the friends by name. He says, and, and tell my friends there. I said hello too. Because I'll see you soon. John says this to all of us today. You know, you stop and think about it. Principles that John has given in these, these uh, epistles need to continue to ring true in our hearts. Stand firm on the truth of God's Word. Practice the love of Christ towards one another as brothers and sisters in, in the Lord. Demonstrate that you are a child of God by your obedience to the Word of God and by exhibiting the love of Christ towards others, especially in the body of Christ. Be open and receptive and hospitable to those who come into your midst, maybe from another church, another part of the world, who are fellow Christians, and embrace them. Exhibit that kind of hospitable spirit. And be aware. Be aware. Not everybody flies under the flag of the church who claims to be a Christian. Not everybody who wears the label Christian is indeed a child of God. Be discerning. Test them against the truth of the Word of God. And God will bless.